That's the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Word of God, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. I'll pray and then I'll invite Pastor Fred to come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that we've just read uh, about the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that this word is true. And thank you, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word that we may come to know Jesus Christ. So, Lord, uh, our prayer is for Pastor Fred as he would proclaim this word to us this morning that you would work through him with your Holy Spirit and that our hearts would be receptive. So, Lord, work powerfully with your Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this first chapter of the Gospel of John contains material that you could make at least ten sermons on, but I won't do that today. I'll have you one sermon, and I'll focus on a few verses in this this chapter, because I can't give attention to everything today, so I'll focus on verse 10 to 13, and if you don't mind, I'll read it again. And it speaks about Jesus Christ, yeah, and he is introduced here as the true light who comes into the world. And it says, verse 10, he, that's Jesus, was in the world, 
And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Friends, as long as humans have been around on earth, they have shown an interest in spiritual matters. Somehow people have always known that there is more to life than what we see. And therefore during um, all history of mankind we find people trying to establish a connection between us here and the world out there, between earth and heaven. Usually with no success. Human attempts to make this connection always seem to fail. The doggedness with which people keep trying shows, however, that deep down they are convinced that there must be something. They just can't find it. Now the solution that the Bible presents for this problem is very simple. And once you see it, it's obvious actually. It's this. From human side, it is impossible indeed to make a connection between the material world and the spiritual world. There is no way from man to God. No matter how hard you try, the road is blocked. Why, we ask? And the answer is because God himself has barred the gate. So stop wasting your energy in trying to force a door open. Rather, listen first. As I said, there is no way from man to God. But, and that's the good news, there is a way from God to man. And if you want to establish a connection from this side, you get nowhere. But when God takes the initiative to find you, there comes an opening in the great barrier. And it's all a matter of changing your perspective. You might have your binoculars focused on God in heaven and see nothing at all. But turn the binoculars around and realize that God is focusing on you. And that will change your outlook and your experience of life completely. Well, this is the way that the Gospel of John teaches us to look at life. And he consistently takes the perspective of God, of what God is doing. So think along with John, and perhaps you may see something of the mysteries of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that's the opening line of the Gospel of John. And this Gospel is a book about the life of Jesus. Now that's probably not the way you and I would have started a book about Jesus. We, we might have started with what Jesus means to us and how we got to know him and how someone else can get to know him. But as I said, John tries right from the start to make us look at things from God's perspective. 
And this is God's perspective. In the beginning, God created the world and everything in it. There's absolutely nothing in this world that God has not created. We were reminded of that this morning when Ben was reading from Job chapter 38. Whatever people have made, they can only make it from what they have found in God's creation. So that means the whole world has its origin in God. Also all the people who live on earth. You haven't made yourself. You cannot keep yourself together. You're absolutely dependent on God granting you life. Now from God's perspective, that's obvious. There's no doubt about it. This is how it is. That's an unchangeable truth. But it's a different question altogether whether people who are God's creation can see that too. And as a matter of fact, they can't see it at all. They are struck with blindness. They live in darkness and they don't even realize it. Since they have never seen light, they have accepted the darkness as normal. But God, the Creator, is the God of life and since He loves the world that He has created, He is going to do something about the darkness people live in. He sends a light in the darkness to make people see the light and the truth. These are the things that John is speaking about in chapter 1. And in verse 1 he mentions the Word. And the Word that was with God and that was actually God himself from the beginning. Though Though John doesn't mention his name here yet, he will later on explain the Word is no one else than the person we have come to know as Jesus Christ. And now we are at our text first. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now the whole world, as I said in the beginning, is in one way or another searching for God. All nations have their religions, and they are all human attempts to make contact with the spiritual world. But as we saw, it's all in vain from our side. We can't establish a connection with our Creator. We can make all kinds of idols and serve them, but that's all a replacement for the reality of having a relationship with your Creator. But now, God takes action from the other side. He Himself comes to the world. Isn't that wonderful? What what we all look for and couldn't find is now going to happen. So since the world was created by him, you would expect a response. This is what we've been waiting for. In Jesus, we find satisfaction for our desire to make contact with our creator. Finally, our spiritual thirst is quenched. Our souls have found what they long for. But it didn't happen that way. That's the disappointment expressed in verse 10. After all these wonderful words about God, what God did from the beginning and how he wanted to come to this world as the light of the world, etc. 
So that's the disappointment when the word as the light finally came into the world. The world did not recognize him. He didn't come as a spirit. He didn't come as an alien to whom we couldn't relate to. He didn't come in fire as God Almighty that we would only be scared and run away from. No, he came as a man. Made of the same flesh as all the people of the world. And yet, they didn't recognize him. They saw him, they heard him, but their blindness effectively hindered them from recognizing this man as coming from God, as being God himself. What a tragedy. Verse 11 underlines the depth of the blindness of people. He came to that, that which was his own, but his own did not receive him either. You could say the nations all around, the pagans, who had never heard of the living God, who had never read about a God who created the world, they had some excuse not to recognize the one who was sent into the world. But what about his own people? The people of Israel, the Jews, they knew about the Creator. He had spoken to them. He had given them his law. They knew about sin. They knew about necessary atonement for sin in order to have a relationship with the Holy God. And yet, they did not receive him. They rejected the one who was sent from God to their salvation. They preferred the darkness they lived in and continued to walk in blindness. Why? Is that something mysterious too? That people can be searching for God, even willing to serve Him, even willing to make enormous sacrifices to seek His approval. And yet when He Himself appears to them, they don't recognize Him. They refuse to receive Him. How deep is the darkness, friends? It's the darkness of sin that blinds people. See, many people think of sin only as a, a moral defect. As humans, we do not always do what's right, and in fact, we usually do many things wrong. That's then our sin. But the Bible tells us that sin has also affected our mind. We cannot understand what God is trying to tell us. Humans can understand many things. They are actually very clever in many ways. Only one thing they can't understand. Namely, who God is and what he wants of them, really. And unfortunately, that can go very well with being religious. That's the frightening part of it. You can be convinced in your own mind that you do all the right things for God, like the Jews. You can know the Bible and all the stories in it, like the Jews. You can believe that God has created this world and still maintains it, like the Jews. And in spite of that, you can miss its meaning completely. 
because of your spiritual blindness. Now what causes that spiritual blindness? Well, there are a few reasons. The most obvious one is that our blindness is part of the curse that came upon us because of the sin of Adam. And we all have that problem. Adam chose to disobey God. And then as the Apostle Paul says, the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of Jesus Christ. Now that, that basic condition that we all have by nature, and that's how we all start out in this life, works out in many ways. We are inclined to reject the word of God because it reveals our own sinfulness. We don't want to hear about it. Somehow we prefer to cling to our sins. Sin clings to you like, a, like an addiction. Someone one who is addicted to something cannot imagine that life can be worth living without his drug. If you're addicted to sin in whatever form, you'd rather keep it that way. I, I use it, that word addiction because there was a time that I was somehow addicted to smoking my pipe. And always when I was preparing my sermon, I made notes and things like that, and then I took my pipe and sat, sat down with my pipe and smoked a whole pipe for half an hour just meditating on it. And I could not imagine that I could ever make a sermon without smoking my pipe. So but that's what an addiction is. You can't imagine that life can be good or that livable or joyful without that thing that you cling to. Thankfully I'm free of that now. So uh, this is a smoke-free sermon. <laughs> Not completely though, I must admit, because this week I smoked a cigar. <laughs> My brother-in-law is visiting me here and he brought me a few cigars and we smoked one this week. Well, I smoke always one cigar per year, so I've had my share, he said, this morning. Anyway, another reason to keep God at a safe distance is, is your own pride. We hate to admit that we are not in control ourselves, that we need help from outside. And we rather, and that's the biggest tragedy, try to maintain our pride by being religious. If you think you're doing pretty well as a believer, you stick mostly to God's laws, you go to church, you say your prayers, you read your Bible, it's quite possible that you have convinced yourself that you are a Christian, whereas in actual fact, you have never been on your knees, really, and asked for grace to come into your life. And then you are just as far as the religious Jews just as Paul was before Jesus called him personally and was, he was converted. You may still prefer the darkness above the light. You know why? Once you are used to darkness, light hurts. You will have experienced that. If you walk in the dark, suddenly there is this, uh, this light coming in and you close your eyes immediately because light hurts. And you're inclined to turn away from it. Think about these things, friends. As long as you try from your side 
to make things right with God or to try to develop a spiritual life in your own strength, you will fail. You're trying the impossible. But don't get discouraged by me saying that. Because don't forget what's impossible with people is possible with God. And that applies especially to salvation. Every salvation of a human being is a miracle worked by God himself. And God moves then in mysterious ways. And that's the gospel explained in verse 12 and 13. The world did not recognize the light of the world. His own people did not receive him. Now was it all in vain then that the light shone in the darkness? No, praise God, it wasn't. Verse 12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now we already mentioned the mystery that the darkness cannot recognize the light. But here is even a greater mystery. There are people who lived in the same darkness and yet who welcomed the light. John says there were people who believed in his name and that name is obviously the name of Jesus for Jesus himself is the light of the world. And therefore people's reaction to him will be decisive for their future. All they do is receive the light. Open up to the light. And when they do that, they receive something much greater. They receive the right to be children of God. Now that's an amazing thing. They receive the right, the privilege, to become children of God. Now I fear that the term children of God has become so familiar to us that it has lost most of its meaning. Some people seem to think that that somehow all the people in the world are children of God and that they all have a father somehow in heaven. But they are not. At least not according to the Bible. Others think that all God's people are children of God. Verse 12 proves that that's not the case either. The Jews were God's people, definitely. But by rejecting the light of the world, they proved that they were children of the devil rather than children of God. So what does it take to become a child of God? Now take John's perspective. And now you have to realize this. Realize who God is. He's the creator of the world. He is a holy God who cannot stand sin at all. Holy, holy, holy is the Almighty One who lives in an inaccessible light. And He is watching you. And ask yourself, what do I do with the light that shines in my darkness? Do I receive it? Do I welcome it? Or do I perhaps block it out? with my own reasoning. What do I do with the name of Jesus? Do I really believe in him? Not only that, that he was on earth and that he, that he did all kinds of things, that he was dead and was raised again, not only that, but 
Do I really believe that he is alive today and waiting for my response to him? Friends, are you prepared to entrust your life to him or are you still keeping him at arm's length? See, the key to your personal salvation is what do you see in Jesus? Is it to you only the, the founder of Christian religion? Or is he the eternal God who is alive today and knocking at your door? Don't forget only those who see in Jesus the eternal word of God receive the wonderful thing that he has to offer. The invitation and the right to become a child of God. Now becoming a child of God is the most significant change in someone's life. It's something supernatural. It's, it's a birth totally different from your first entrance into the world. Children of God have something that discerns them from all other people. They are born a second time. And its birth had nothing to do with natural descent, what nation you come from. And never think, oh, my parents are children of God, so automatically I am one too. It's being said, God has many children, but he has no grandchildren. And that means it's only by personal faith that you become a child of God and therefore heir to eternal life. It's through faith in Jesus that you recognize God, your creator, as your father, as one you can trust. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul points out that it's the Spirit who makes us say from the bottom of our heart, Abba, Father. You, you, you can still taste the, the surprise in that expression. Abba, Father. God is not the one that I always thought. He is not one who only condemns me for my sins. The one who judges me for what I think and what I do. To my surprise, he is my father. A father who surpasses in love and care and power all human fathers. A father who delights in his children and loves to see them grow up and develop into people that the Father can take pride in. What a privilege to receive the right to become children of God. John adds here, it's not a matter of human decision. It's not in people's own hands to be saved or not, to be reborn or not. It's a gracious gift of God to those who humble themselves, who confess that they are in the darkness and that they need the light of God. It's not a matter of a husband's will. No father on earth can procreate children for God's kingdom in his own strength. It's always God's own decision to regenerate someone. And it's pure grace if he does. And much of it remains a mystery that we cannot unravel. See, we have... We see people to whom these things have been explained over and over again. And it never seems to hit home. 
And on the other hand, we see people who have the one explanation of who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Turn to him in true repentance. Experience your new birth and start a new life. I cannot explain why that is so. I can only say, do not forget, we are speaking about spiritual realities here. The moment you are born of God indeed, God gives his spirit to live in you. And God's Holy Spirit is the spirit of life. And once you receive that spirit, you have life in yourself. Eternal life. But that's a deep mystery in itself. But by the same token, the reality of him, of God through his spirit, living in us, is clearly taught by the Bible and lively experienced by the believers. For his spirit to live in people is completely a matter of God's timing, a choice. There's no way that you can grab his spirit or force him to give his spirit to you. It is... And it will always be a matter of grace. Grace is shown only to the humble. Grace is shown to those who recognize the darkness in their own heart and turn to the light that God has brought into the world. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born as a baby in Bethlehem, with Christmas so recently behind us, we would do well to think about these things. Christmas is not only celebrating the events which surrounded Christ's birth on earth. Christmas is ultimately about Jesus Christ being born in our own heart and creating in us the desire to see him in the flesh again. You know that song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And the closing lines there are very meaningful. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that we no more may die. Born to raise the lost on earth. Born to give them second birth. Think about what you sing for you won't be the first one on whom the truth dawns by singing a Christmas song. God moves in mysterious ways indeed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that through your spirit we can call you Father, that he makes us call you Father, and that through that suddenly the distance that we experience as sinful people to a holy God who lives in an inaccessible light, that suddenly that distance is solved. And we are near to him in a very close relationship. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit working faith in our heart, working faith in Jesus Christ, the light 
of the world in whom is life that we are allowed to share. Lord, we thank you that though the Word was with God from the beginning as the Son of God eternal, that the Word became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ who lived among us, who suffered among us, who died and was raised again in order to share his righteousness, to share the benefits of his cross to all who believe. Lord, grant us a faith to accept that. Grant us continuing faith to see that we live by grace and by grace only. So, Lord, we thank you for granting your people the right to become children of God by believing in Jesus' name. Lord, we believe in him. We thank you for him. And we pray that you continue your work of the Spirit in us so that we become more and more the people you want us to be. That we go through life rejoicing. Not only rejoicing in the good things that come our way, but even rejoicing in our trials which make us uh, humble and dependent on you. So Lord, help us to grow as your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.